welcome to the Plugin for More podcast brought to you by EV Universe. EV Universe is your one-stop shop for all things related to the electric vehicle. Here on this podcast, our goal is to educate, to inspire, and to hopefully make your transition into the electric vehicle marketplace a lot less intimidating. Welcome to this third episode of our podcast, and thank you for joining us. In this episode, we spend some time working out the kinks of doing remote recording for the podcast. We also spend time talking about what it's like to drive an electric vehicle, specifically in regards to regenerative braking and one-pedal driving. We hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Hey, now we're recording. Yay, and great. Tom's in a Tom's in a bad mood today, folks. Uh, so yeah, you see our bar at the bottom, so our our uh, wave file is populating, so we know that we're making noise. That's okay, good. So. I'm when recording. I'm talking, it's a lot smaller than than yours. So I'm wondering if I need. Mine's smaller too, though. I wonder if it's just our, if, uh, like ours looks smaller because Mike yours looks bigger. Mine looks uh, tiny, but yep, mine looks pretty small too. Why? Yeah, why I do I feel that. like when we're saying this? <laughs> like, oh. We need to put this in the podcast. I mean, Mike, yours is yeah. so small. <laughs> yours is smaller than mine. Why does mine look so much bigger? That's because you're. Well, <laughs> there's too many answers to that I question. Mean, this needs to be in the podcast. A debate about which one looks smaller. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Jesus. I, I was hoping we were going to be able to get away with not having to put the explicit flag on our podcast, but I think that's probably a lost cause. Yeah. <laughs> Let's, do you want to go through like news or anything like that? Like off the top, just to catch up on the last little bit of. So, yeah, I was, I was interested in a few things I was reading about. I saw that downstate Michigan by Detroit area is going to be the first road to charge your vehicle so you don't have to plug in. But I had a, I had a lot of questions for that around how that would work. And so, yeah, Tom, do you have, do you have any insights of how, would, how can you drive down a road and your car get charged at the same time? Yeah, I'm not totally clear on the Albatech. It's way over my head. But the basic premise of what I kind of understand is this company called Electrion. Um, and they install coils in the roadway so that when the cars drive over it there's a special adapter that gets installed onto your car and that specialized adapter kind of like a wireless charging for your phone or other wireless device it picks up that current that's installed in that cable in the road so the company on their website they're kind of pushing for this idea that it's not exactly charging your vehicle it's just providing enough electricity to keep it moving forward wow hmm. wow so Which, this question I would have on that is how thick is this adapter? Just looking at their pictures on the website, it looks like maybe it's only like two or three inches thick, but like a foot and a half to two feet in, you know, in the middle. Area. So with most EVs, I mean, they're, they're flat on the bottom. So now you're going to have this protrusion. Oh, well, I don't mean, know. If you're not off-roading, it probably wouldn't be that big of a deal, but I'm just thinking going over curb or, you know, steep driveways and that sort of thing. Is that going to, is that going to get hung up or. Mm. And I mean, maybe, and maybe there comes a time where vehicles are going to be custom fitted with these installed. Maybe yeah. that's the hope that Electrion has, but the other part with Electrion is that they almost are pushing on their website that they would like to have every inch of roadway be covered in this charging road technology so that there is no need for batteries. I mean, what you could do, though, is 
you know, maybe not be for every application, right? Like there's maybe with trucks or, you know, rural areas where that's not going to be covered in every roadway, or it might be you know, insanely expensive to do that. Or it, personally, I don't want to, I don't want to be able to just go where the road is, is allowing me to. Um, because let's say if I'm in a parking lot or something, or, you know, you want to do donuts for 30 minutes in a parking lot, you couldn't do it because the parking lot doesn't have those chargers. But what it could be, I mean, maybe if you think of like Disney World or Disneyland and you have like, you know, the buses that run just continuously in the same loop. Yep. So looking again at the at Electrion's website, they've got projects right now that are in Tel Aviv, they're in Sweden, uh, they're in Italy. So there's different spots that they're they're putting this out there, but it looks like it's all being used on commercial type vehicles. So like a busing route. So if you have an electric bus network where the buses are in a loop that like you said, for Disney world, for example, those buses are going to be on that circuit. Yep. And ultimately powered by this system. There probably still have to be a battery for off grid driving, but maybe not to the same level of capacity that we're seeing now. That would make sense. Yeah. I was thinking the same thing, Tom. Rather than having a battery that's like four or 500 miles, you maybe need a battery that's like 140, maybe 100 miles, you know, something like that, mm -hmm. maybe 180. And I think it also maybe eliminates some of the fears around electric vehicles that I had when I was first starting thinking about it is, you know, interstates driving long distances and having to stop and charge. Maybe if the interstates have this technology, it eliminates some of that fear. And it's just more like local driving might not have it, but that's mm -hmm. where your 180 mile battery comes in or 150 mile yeah, battery. Yeah. Think all the benefits of that too. Like if it's a lighter car, because then the efficiency, yeah, right. the efficiency is going to go up. It's going to handle yep. better. It's going to brake better. All those mm -hmm. types of things would be fantastic. I mean, that's one of the knocks on the yeah. on all the EVs is the weight of them. You go through more tires. You say like you connect Detroit to Chicago on I ninety four, right? And you just have that whole stretch of road. And if you have semi trucks that are electric and and have this technology built into it, like that's going to significantly decrease. Um, energy consumption across the board. I mean, that would be a cool thoroughfare to have it on. Um, but it's, again, it's an infrastructure project. Yep. And the roadways, and I mean, I, in, a, in a climate where, let's say, a, not a northern climate like where we are at, where you have good roads and roads last for, you know, 40, 50 years, where you don't have the freezing and, and thawing and, and roads falling apart, maybe it looks a little bit different than it does in Michigan. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I could see this in big cities, right? Yeah, or you combine it with, let's say, like some of the autonomous driving for the semi trucks, and you go from like yeah. you yep. know L.A. to Miami, and you you know turn the truck on, and you don't need to stop. And so the some of the demo videos I watched on Electrion's website shows them going through with like a minimal amount of. Um, intrusion into an existing roadway where it's like a, maybe a swath that's like a foot and a half wide and they grind out that portion of roadway to install this coil and then resurface that little portion that they ground down with clean asphalt to cover the coils. So it's like they can do it almost in a rolling fashion going down the roadway with minimal intrusion. It's not like they got to rebuild an entirely new road to accomplish it. That would make it more feasible. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's not a solution to every problem, but I think it's, you know, I, I like seeing fresh ideas that move towards solutions. Brian, you were looking at, you and I were talking about the Q4 a lot this week, because I know you're looking for one. So can you, what exactly are you looking for in a Q4 e-tron? Yeah, this is learning for me. So the, the Audi naming conventions is absolutely crazy. So I was thinking the e-tron is a type of descriptor, meaning an electric type of Audi. But no, an e-tron is a specific car. And then you have the Q4 e-tron, which is a different car than just an e-tron. <laughs> you have the e-tron GT. You have... Audi needs Audi needs to figure out their naming solutions because I'm even confused and I'm thinking about buying one. Now that I got it figured out, what I think I want, I think I want a Q4 e-tron because I like this. I like the smaller SUV. I don't. The e-tron's a bigger. I've actually been in one before. It's a bigger SUV. I don't need. Got a, I've got um no need for like a huge SUV. But I like the size of it. I like the look of it. I have not seen it in person yet. I'm hoping to. I called uh, several dealerships. So up here in Michigan, where I live, downstate in Michigan some high volume dealerships called the few in North Carolina truck to Chicago. No one actually has one right now. So I'm told that they've been launched in Europe been launched in the UK, but uh, the United States has them in port, but there is a problem with the computer. And so they're waiting an update. That's, that's the word in the street, but it sounds like between sometime in March and April, the each dealership gets an allocation and uh, between two and five of them, and so I put my name in five or six lists in different Audi dealerships to see if I can get one. The ones down in North Carolina sound like the most promising, but since I live in northern Michigan, the base trim is rear-wheel drive only, like no positive traction, just one one rear wheel. That is not it for me. i got to get the Quattro, which is the all-wheel drive. So right now I'm, I'm thinking about, I'm debating what I should do. Should I put a deposit down? And not knowing around how long it's going to be, because they can't tell me. It could be a year. It could be two. It could be three. It's a $1,000 deposit. It's, it's, it's a refundable deposit, but 1000 bucks being tied up for two or three years. I'm not in love with that. And then my, also, my other concern, and maybe both of you can weigh in on this too, is they can't tell me exactly the price. <laughs> like They have the price. But then I'm thinking the dealership might add some money to it. That's that's a slight concern to me of just throwing a thousand bucks down and not knowing exactly the price. And so I don't know. I think either of you have probably heard about this happening with other electric vehicles too, right? Like the dealership surcharging. Yeah, I mean, to me, I mean, how ridiculous is that? I mean, it, what other product do people buy and they don't know the price when they put a deposit in on it? I mean, I can't think of another one. I mean, and I understand it's a, it's a demand need. There's gotta be a better option, right? Like there's, there's gotta be a better way to do it. And you know, I think some of what you're seeing with like, you know, Rivian, you know, Tesla, some of the other companies are coming lucid direct to consumer, you know, you know what the price is, you know, and I, I know Tesla's increased their price at a different times. So that can be a little bit different there too, but you're not seeing these like, well, we're going to add 10% to it. You're going to at this dealership, but then across the street, it might be, it might be, you know, MSRP or something like that. And so that kind of stuff just, it's for the game playing of those dealers it drives me a bit batty, but I don't know what you guys think. I think it's unacceptable. I mean, but I think it is accentuating an underlying problem of the the dealer franchise system that we have. And that there isn't a direct to market 
sale for automobiles. So you've got these independent dealers essentially that are franchised, but they're getting to do whatever they want. And yeah, Ford, let's say, for example, if you want to get a Mach-E and they're charging, a particular dealership wants to charge you that 10% over the MSRP for it. You know, Ford can say, hey, if you do this, we're going to dock you vehicles and you're not going to get more cars, but they really don't have control over what that dealership does with that vehicle once it's on the lot. You nailed it, Tom. I think I'm, it's, it's a mind shift for me because I'm not even used to paying MSRP. Like even a couple years ago, I'd be like, dude, I'm never paying sticker, right? You never pay sticker. You always pay less. Now we're being told we have to pay more. It's, it's a mind shift. Yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not okay with that. I mean, just not. And that's why when uh, you know, my wife bought a Jeep not too long ago, I scoured every inch of knowledge I could you know, find on those vehicles and to find out what dealers were you know, getting a discount, which ones weren't. Um, you know, a lot of them were going five to 8,000 over MSRP. I was able to find one for seven grand under just because you look hard enough and you find the ones yeah. and, you know, we were able to order a vehicle, but it, it shouldn't be that hard. I think we're starting to see the, the cracks in the foundation of the dealership network, so to speak, and, and their, their thought process and how they run things. And I think, you know, the next few years is going to be really interesting um, not only for, you know, everything switching over to EVs or mostly, I think is what we'll see, especially, you know, the regular cars, maybe some of the sports cars won't, there'll be more hybrids, but, you know, I, I really think we're going to start seeing, you know, issues with the dealership markups, the, um, kind of some of the games they play, some of the service, you know, issues that we're seeing there. And I think it's going to, it's going to be a profound shift to see who can get the cars out who can sell them, but also is their dealership model going to work versus the upstarts like, you know, Tesla, Lucid, Rivian. I'm going to let, I'm going to let the listener in my super secret plan. That's not super secret or that smart, but here's my plan. <laughs> so like this isn't brain science or rocket scientists guys, but we all know used vehicles are the high highest of the market right now. And everything I'm reading is like by Q3, Q4, they're probably going to start to decrease because we're going to see all the new cars are sitting in the market right now that don't have chips. We're going to see chips hit. And so what I'm reading, at least, is you're going to see the used car market crash. And so I'm trying to sell my car. I have a, I have a, a Mazda 6, 2016, lo- love it. But I'm trying to sell it at the height, right? Like you're gonna, you want to time it so you sell your used car at the height. And what appeals me about the Q4 is not only the looks and, and the feel of it and all the stuff that I think I like, like I said, I have not seen in person yet, but it still qualifies for the $7,500 rebate. And so you time the selling of an old used car at the height and you get into a new electric vehicle, the Q4 price is $45,000. That's very attractive with the $7,500 rebate. And so uh, that's that's where my timing is at. Not rocket science here, but that's, listener, that's what my plan is. We'll see what happens. We'll see how it turns out. You are listening to the Plug In For More podcast. If you're looking for information on electric vehicles, electric vehicle components, or just information on how to reduce your carbon footprint, look no further than EV Universe. EV Universe is your one-stop shop for all things related to the electric vehicle. So the question I have for you guys, when you're thinking about getting a new car and I know we've talked offline about this as far as um, getting into an EV, but I mean, what's really attractive to you in moving from a you know, gas powered vehicle to an EV? Like there's 
a bunch of different reasons why people do it. Some people are quote unquote tree huggers. Some people like the acceleration, you know, the technology, you know, but for you two, what's, let's say Bryant first, you know, what's, what's attractive to you? What's making you actually want to get into the, the, that Q4? Yeah, good question. So it's funny because at the Lars Museum in Boston, I was at earlier this year, I saw a 1908 electric vehicle. So one of the people think electric vehicles, you know, are new. They're actually old. They were actually like pretty common around the early 1900s before the gas engine took off. And you can go into why like gas became more stable and it was more safe. Um, as it became more safe and stable, it just took over electric vehicles. But so electric vehicles aren't as new as people think. But I was always against them for a while because I thought you have the Prius, the boring, nothing against Prius owners if you're listening, but the boring Prius, because I think it looks boring and I think it drives boring. So I don't want to say boring, but I don't. I hope not offend you, but it's boring. And uh, I think that the electric vehicle market it clearly has shifted over into the, the performance side. And that's what appeals to me is you have all the new performance characteristics of the torque. And um, we'll get into it a little bit later about maybe when our first time we drove one. But I also didn't realize there's no there's no maintenance besides you know some tires and some things. But there's no there's not a lot of stuff to break on the car. And so to me at least, I had my mind shifted by Mike and telling me about the performance side. Then you see the new Teslas coming out, fastest cars in the world. You see all the new performance brands shifting to electric, and all of a sudden it's like okay, it's not a boring Prius anymore. It's actually a performance vehicle with no maintenance, there's almost there's not as much downside as I thought there was going to be. So that, that's, that's what appeals to me. Yeah, that makes sense. Tom, what are you thinking? I like the novelty of it at first. I mean, it's because I like the tech. I like all the cool things that come with it. Um, the performance of the cars was pretty fantastic. I was going through my monthly budget and recognized that I spent about $350 in the month of January on fuel for my gas-guzzling Dodge Ram. And realizing that it would be pennies on the dollar for an electric vehicle to do the same amount of driving that I'm currently doing. Um, so just the savings of that alone to me are worth it. And I think that it has been an overlooked technology for so long and dismissed for a lot of different reasons. Um, and now that I've really started looking into it, I just see so many more benefits to it than what we are currently working with. I mean, I know initially we talked about our first experiences with, an EV, yeah. you know, and Brian and I were both talking about the original Tesla Roadster. You were talking about that early Model S that you drove. Um, but more recently, we've all had a chance to experience, you know, a Ford Mach-E, a Tesla Model 3, a Tesla Model S. I've driven some other ones recently. I've seen a Rivian up close and in person. Um, you know, from what you guys are, are coming into from the sort of, I'd say more of an outsider perspective. Um, what were your initial thoughts? You know, when you guys jumped into that model three right off the bat, what was your take? Well, my thought with the model three, when I first got into it is that it felt just like a normal car. Um, I, I don't know what I expected. If I expected it to be something super futuristic, but it just felt clean and nice and not foreign. Um, and then driving it again, it's, it's smooth, it's quick. Um, and it just, it, it's kind of fun and inspiring driving. And I think part of the fear that I've had with electric vehicles and going back to making fun of the Prius, which I have no problem doing cause it is boring. Um, 
it 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 seemed weak it seemed light it seemed small it kind of gave me the the feeling and the idea that it really wasn't good for much besides getting from point a to point b which for some people i'm sure that's fine and i'll cut that out because that sounds really snobbish but um i like that you should keep it in yeah i mean anything that like brings you down i mean that's that's good we can just keep that in like (laughs) (laughs) my my ego is fragile enough as it is i don't need to keep uh, chipping away there you go i've always thought of electric vehicles as being kind of frail like they're gonna break and i don't know why that is i don't know if that's been a my own belief or if that's been marketed to us that way I don't know, but it didn't feel that way when I drove it. And I really started to see that this is going to be viable. This is something that like I can get behind. And um, with all the other benefits that come with it, whether it be from the maintenance perspective, the, the fuel savings, um, and then your lack of a, or your minimization of a carbon footprint, like it's, it's all good stuff. I mean, it was very interesting for me as someone who's driven EVs for a number of years to watch both of you drive the cars and, and test them out because I mean, with both of you, I mean, we've played with, I don't know how many cars together since we were, you know, in our teens and, you know, Bryant and I racing cars back in the day. It, Tom, I don't know how many different things we've done with cars over the years, but a lot. I, I had a little different experience in Tom driving the three. I thought um, I'd driven, like I mentioned in our previous episode, I'd driven uh, way back in the day, the Roadster and um, the Roadster is not techy. The three I thought was a little techy. I think uh, I was actually thinking from the Fast and Furious movie of like sitting in there with a laptop, turning it on with a laptop and doing stuff with a laptop. It was kind of like my experience. And so anyway, I think it was um, two things. One, the one pedal driving was definitely different for me. I didn't, I didn't necessarily enjoy that, that perspective, especially from driving a lot of stick shifts. I've had almost entirely sticks. Um, was different, but um, I also thought it was pretty cool from the acceleration. I had some fun merging in traffic, extreme, you know, acceleration, shooting around here and there. And uh, I agree with Tom, though. I thought it was, I've always thought them as, as fragile as, you know, these are like toys to take out, but they're not really suitable for like daily stuff. And so I had a different opinion. I thought, I thought I was, it was actually kind of techy. But I actually enjoyed the acceleration, but it's a definitely a different experience than the first gen Roadster that I was expecting. And, and even going from that Model Three into the Ford Mach E, the Mach E felt even more normal. And I think I would credit that to it being the Ford Motor Company as opposed to Tesla, which Tesla I think is largely accepted to trying to be quirky and trying to be a little bit more futuristic. So even if you're into an electric vehicle that's made by a traditional automaker, I think you're going to find even more normalcy with it. I like the Maki more than the three, to be honest, because of that. I like turning on the fake engine noise and hearing like the acceleration, <laughs> even though it was fake. It made me feel more comfortable. Right. I like being able to push the button. It looked the exact same button as a Ford Explorer or the exact same button as the other Fords. I mean, even the Mustang, the regular Mustang to turn it on. And so I think Ford did a better job, in my opinion, for me at least, coming from the normal mainstream of, oh my gosh, like 
I know what I'm doing versus the Tesla felt like, oh my gosh, like I need to figure out this laptop thing. So Brian, you, you hit on a couple things real quick that I want to circle back to. One of it is the one pedal driving. And I was going to throw it to Mike and have him explain to us a little bit about exactly what is the one pedal driving and regenerative braking that comes with it and, and kind of work through that because that's kind of a, a major component of a feature of electric vehicles. Yeah. So as far as one pedal driving goes, I mean, originally with the regenerative braking on the early Teslas, so you're talking about the Roadster or um, some of the other EVs out there, it was um, more just the the sensation that you'd get with a, a stick shift when you let off the accelerator. So it's that kind of pullback, but it really wasn't true one pedal driving. That's something that's newer in the EV space where you can actually come to a complete stop and it will hold that stop for you with just one pedal. So you don't actually need to step on the brake at all. Um, and after a while of driving um, my new Model Y, it's gotten to be very, very easy to just make that switch over after it took a couple of days but you know now what ends up happening is in day-to-day -day traffic i'll accelerate and then when i start decelerating and coming up to a stoplight for example i'll let off and then i actually take my foot completely off the uh, accelerator and the car just stops and holds that so you are almost like you put it in park and so that i really enjoy just from the fact of it's just easier. You don't have to deal with, you know, always having your foot on the brake. So if I drive a different vehicle that's gas powered, I'm always, I'm standing at the stoplight, I'm pressing down on the brake, or if I'm driving a stick shift, I've got both, you know, the clutch in and my foot on the brake, or, you know, some combination there, foot on the brake all the time. It's just one less thing you got to do. Oh, and I was just thinking that that was kind of one of the cool experiences of it. If, if you get good at it, like it's, it's, it's not normal. If you've driven your mm -hmm. gas vehicle your entire life, um, but to get used to the, the one pedal driving and regenerative braking, it slows you down at that consistent pace that you would expect to maybe slow down normally if you were on the brake and in normal routine traffic. Exactly. Nice. Exactly. Now, if you're going for, you know, a enthusiast drive, um, you know, you, you really want to, you know, hug the curves and really get that sporty feeling one pedal driving Eh, that might not be what you're looking for. Day-to-day -day traffic, absolutely for me, hands down. That's what I wanted. That's experience I, I would like to have. But if I'm going to take the Roadster out, I don't miss one pedal driving. I okay. love being into the accelerator, off, onto the brake, you know, taking the corners, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Um, or just, you know, think of old school driving a stick shift. Um, you know, it's, it's a different feeling. It's less engaging. But um, it's something you get used to. And it's kind of an ease of use scenario for me so i apologize i was half paying attention to you while you're talking i don't did you hit on attention what? Did, did you hit on what regenerative braking is and why it's beneficial no i mean as far as what regenerative braking is in and of itself i mean what it what it means is that um the electric motor is essentially spinning backwards um, as you're slowing down. So instead of um, spinning in one direction, it's, it's going backwards. So that's actually pulling more energy in and creating energy. So there, there's two effects to that regenerative braking. One is it slows you down more than what you're used to in an ICE vehicle or a gas-powered vehicle. So um, that's one benefit. The other benefit is you also um, generate some energy 
or that you can retain some of the energy that's lost during that breaking that you'd normally do that's usually wasted in the form of heat as you step on a traditional brake pedal. And so if you do it correctly, it can extend your range a little bit, especially if you're going down a steep hill and you just let off the accelerator, you just let it coast, all that regenerative braking will capture that energy, store it back in the battery. So that that is a, another benefit to it. One of the things on the enthusiast um, standpoint that is beneficial as well is if you're driving on a track and you're getting hard in the accelerator and then you come up to a corner, you have to let off the accelerator and get onto the brake, that car is already braking for you during that transition. And so everything that I've seen and heard is that is that is a definite benefit. And it, it, it does feel different too. And so we really have to get used to it when they're driving on a track, but that is a benefit to the regenerative braking on a track. You can make those transitions a little bit, potentially a little bit smoother and faster. And then with the regenerative braking or the one foot driving, is it something that typically can be turned on or off? Because I, I know the Mustang Mach-E had an option to turn off the regenerative braking. So if you wanted to have that more traditional feel of being off the accelerator and on the brake, you could be. It's something that can be turned on and off on some vehicles. So on the early, early Teslas, you, could, you only had the regenerative braking, that was it. And it wasn't one pedal driving. Then it got to the point where you could choose basically do you want to feel more like a normal car kind of that rolling stop or do you want to have more regenerative braking and now it's come to the point where you want to have one pedal driving on or off but on the newest teslas it's just one pedal driving that's it there's no way to change it yeah, that's a good point i like the uh i turned off the one pedal driving in the maki because i just i'm not used to it and i don't like it right now and so to your point mike that would be that would be a learning curve, especially in the northern climates. And actually, it should be, you guys are talking about this, this should be something I should ask the uh, Q4 uh, dealership about. Because if it's only one pedal driving, I'm not sure. I get what you're saying, Mike, you get used to it. But I'm just not sure if I would want it, actually. I'd want to be able to turn it off. As long as you're kind of aware of it and you make that adjustment, I think it's a pretty easy transition. But, you know, for someone who's going out and looking to get their first EV, that's something to consider. Absolutely. You know, especially someone like yourself, who's really into the driving character characteristics of a car. Then you want it set up exactly how you want to, what you, how you want set up. I think that would be something to consider, but the, here's the issue. I also see with people wanting to have you know, some of that information ahead of time. You can maybe get the information. Does it have it? Does it not? But right now, with a lot of these EVs, you can't go test drive a lot of them. The, brand new ones because they just they're all coming out like the ford lightning you know ford f-150 lightning you know maybe a rivian a lucid you just got to put in your reservation years in advance and then when it comes you got to kind of take it or leave it and so that is a barrier for some people unless they go to like turo or hertz now that they you know have a gonna have a larger fleet of teslas it's one way to test drive them the regenerative braking is probably the biggest difference between driving an ICE vehicle and an electric vehicle, which I think is telling because it's not that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that the regenerative braking is, it, there is a learning curve, but it's not hard. And I think, Mike, you can probably attest to this, driving it almost exclusively now, you just become second nature with it. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's something that's, again, something I don't think about anymore. It's just driving. It's just, 
you know, when you make the transition from, let's say, an automatic transition to a stick shift. Yeah. After you're used to it, you just get in and you drive. And it's really not something to be overly concerned about. Now, when you think about other different type of driving characteristics, I almost split up into two different categories. If you're, you know, day-to-day, you know, kind of normal driving situation, EVs, it's the one pedal driving or the regenerative braking that can be slightly different. But other than that, it's almost identical. I mean, the acceleration is going to be quicker, significantly quicker, but there's not some, you know, massive changing, you know, of, of what you're doing. When you get into like a performance scenario, I think that changes a little bit too, because acceleration is so much more in a like, typical electric vehicle than you would in a normal gas engine. And so that's a benefit, but then there's also the weight distribution and how heavy a lot of electric vehicles are. So that's one of the knocks they get is, you know, you're not going to see them typically on a, on a road course, or if you do they have to have, you know, almost like this carbon ceramic brake upgrade from Tesla for $20,000 because of how heavy these vehicles are when you're taking them, you know, at Mach 10 around a, right. a racetrack. And yeah, they're heavier, but that center of gravity is so much lower. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Which does create more of an inspiring driving experience because you can handle the corners better. And we found that in the Mach-E when we drove it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a crossover style SUV, but it's going to hang with most anything. Yeah. I mean, if you also look at like the, um, the Tesla model X and the rollover, um, tests on that, because that's one of the most dangerous things in a car. And Tom, with your experience in car accidents, you've seen more than any of us combined, a rollover accident, you're more, more, more likely to be killed than if it didn't roll over. Correct. Um, I mean, it's, not so much the rolling over as a sudden stop at the end, but, um, but yeah, anytime your vehicle goes inverted, it's not designed to be upside down. That that becomes a problem, but yeah. I mean, and so when we're talking about the battery weight distribution on the bottom being the lower center of gravity, that's one of the reasons that the model X, they couldn't get to roll over Mm -hmm. is because of that big battery on the bottom. So there's, there's benefits to that weight. You know, so I think the other thing that hit me, guys, when I was driving was not just the one pedal braking. And, and you're right, it's, I don't want to overstate it. It's not like it's, you know, flying to the moon and back. It's not that complicated. But I was prepared for it. But even just that acceleration you get, just a normal tapping the gas off a red light, you're like, whoa. And uh, when Mike picked me up from the airport in his Model S, it was, uh, it was like brace for impact time. And so, like, I really do think that is a different experience you get, especially if you're coming from... A smaller four-cylinder doesn't have a lot of horsepower you're getting into a, a similar size vehicle the three is not you know the biggest car in the world but man it is it is a rocket ship compared so i think just people getting used to that fast acceleration off the off the line and uh going fast you get up to speed a lot faster than you expect so that was the biggest the other biggest driving thing i thought This concludes this episode of the Plug In For More podcast. We're grateful for the time you take to listen to our content, and we appreciate any feedback that you can give. We hope you have a great day.